Welcome to episode 16 of Redboard Rewind. Today, my special guest is California handicapper and book author, Frank Scatoni. Today, we talk about what makes Paco Lopez such a great rider, why grade one class is important on the grass, and a ripe opportunity to play a long shot. This is Redboard Rewind. And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest, Frank Scatoni. How are you doing today, Frank? I'm doing okay, Spencer. How are you? I'm all right. All right. I was playing Hurt the past few weeks in the podcast, and now I'm finally over it. But now I hear you've picked up the bug. Yeah, it looks like uh, I'm feeling a little bit under the weather. I had a couple of friends visiting Del Mar this closing weekend from New York. Not going to name any names, but uh, I think I picked up a, a, little bit of, a little bit of a bug, but I can talk about races, whether I'm healthy, sick, it doesn't matter. I think I'll, I won't name any names either, but the initials are PTF. <laughs> Guilty as charged. I, I know you've been on the Pete show a couple of times. So now I just want to kind of give you a couple, you know, softball questions. What's one of your favorite angles when you're handicapping a horse race? Yeah. You know, I, I love turf racing. I'm not different from many handicappers in that, you know, love to sink my teeth into a good turf race big full fields, quality competition. Uh, you can often find some really good prices. So when I look at turf races, I like to look for horses who have the best late pace. I mean, there's no, nothing groundbreaking there, um, but something groundbreaking that I do use is I love to use optics EQ to see which horses really, really stand out from a pace perspective. Um, they're usually represented as a big box. So I like to look for those types of horses. And then I dig a little deeper and I like to look at the internal fractions of the horse's previous races. I kind of look for sneaky moves, uh, maybe in the middle of the race, or most importantly, I'm looking for horses who can come home the strongest and uh, I'll pick them all up late. Now, usually when you see a lone speed type of horse in the grass, a lot of people still don't really look at it that much. Do, lo do lone speed horses change your mind at all about looking at the late, late pace or is that's it more? A, no, that's a great question. And, you know, every time I get wired in a turf race, I get so mad and I go, God, I really hate turf races that are won by wire to wire horses. <laughs> but that's my fault, right? I should have been able to, like, look at the race and, and, and properly assess the pace. Um, I'm not going to be stubborn about it. If I do think a horse has a uh, early pace advantage, uh, even though he might not be a particularly strong finisher, uh, especially at Santa Anita where the turf course had played really, really uh, front running. Um, yeah, I will definitely upgrade those, those, those horses. But like, uh, like we have at the Breeders' Cup and like we had at Del Mar this weekend, when you have big full fields, typically get an honest pace, right? You usually have um, a pretty pretty honest pace. And in that regard, I'm always looking for the horse who can finish the strongest. Is there any angle when you're looking at certain turf races that you seem to use a lot more that is kind of like more of in your toolbox? Like a lot of people talk about late pace in class. Is there something else that you feel like you have a better knowledge or advantage of when you're looking at a certain race like that? 
Well, cl- classes are a little tricky nowadays, and I, I've talked to this, uh, talked with this about some friends before. It's getting harder and harder to be a proper class handicapper because I have found uh, that, at least out here in California anyway, the class levels have become sort of truncated. Uh, you still have the very, very good horses at the top, but those middle-level races, from the mid-level to the, to the lower levels, it's a lot tighter. The competition is a lot tighter. Whereas, you know, four or five, six years ago, if you had a lower level turf horse moving up in class or racing against good allowance horses, they had no chance. Now that competition is a lot tighter. So perfect example over the, over the weekend at Del Mar on Saturday, we saw a horse named Zuzana who was claimed for 8,000, $8,000 claim came back and ended up winning the red carpet. So uh, th- that's a great job by the connections and by the trainer to, to handle that horse and, and get that horse to that level. But at the same time, I don't think you would have seen that five or six years ago. Uh, so I do look at class, and I think class is very important. But to me, it's, it's more about how the horse ran uh, the previous few races. And like I said, I'm looking for those internal fractions, horses that may have moved too early into a fast pace and then flattened out. That's a really, really good move that I like to look for. Horses who've been compromised by pace, trying to make up ground in slowly run races. That's kind of where all those internal fractions really come in handy. Well, speaking about the red carpet, that'll be the second race we talk about on today's program. What do you say we get into the first race, race number two at Del Mar? This is the Jimmy Durante is a going one mile on the turf, and it is for two-year-old fillies. The morning line favorite was Princess Caroline. She had broken her maiden very, very nicely by three and a half lengths with an 84 buyer at Belmont. One of the other horses to the inside was the number two Alms, ridden by Paco Lopez, just coming off of a grade three win last time out in the matron. Where did you decide to go here, Frank? Yeah, this this was a, an interesting race. Uh, after the fact, only because I thought it was kind of a falsely run race. Um, when I was first looking at it, I thought there was a lot of speed in the race. So going back to the point I mentioned before, I was looking for the strongest finishers. And the horse that I had come up with was uh, Krokovokes, if I'm saying that correctly. Uh, the Irish horse trained by uh, Jeff Mullins. I just was super impressed by the way this horse had finished every one of her turf races here in the States. Uh, came home in uh, 23.21 seconds in two of her three starts in the States. I thought she was going to get a pace to close into. Pratt stuck around. She was going to get a good inside trip. You know, the inside lanes were very favorable. We had some rain. Uh, you didn't want to be on the outside part of the turf course. The turf course was kind of good and soft in places, and the inside lanes were just better on Saturday. Uh, but I, I landed on on, on Prokovo. Uh, I tried to – I wasn't going to be a hero and, and beat Princess Caroline. I did use her, but I, I really thought somebody was going to come flying late and run down uh, some of the early pace-type horses, and I was wrong. <laughs> For me, this race was interesting. Obviously, when a Chad Brown horse – wins on the East coast. It's not that much of a big deal. A lot of people were overhyping this horse. I thought, I thought the outside post for princess Caroline was going to be detrimental for me. I know we were just talking about class. If 
if, if this race is a grade three, well, I'd like to see the kind of horses that have done well in graded stakes. Uh, Crocovoke, six by four and a, by four and a half in the Breeders' Cup, isn't really losing by that much. And she was also 30 to one that day. Oversized, kept Mike Smith off of a maiden win, even though that race was with a fast pace. I ended up on Alms. Paco Lopez, as we all know, is one of the more speedier riders. He likes to get him out to the front. I didn't know how much speed this horse would have possibly shown, but I definitely liked uh, Michael Stidham, excellent with first-time Lasix. I always like to find horses with first-time Lasix, three or four starts in. I find that very interesting. And he's also a very good stretch-out trainer, 108 runners in the last few years, 22% with a positive ROI. So with your wagering, Frank, where did you decide to go in like this race? Were you more of a vertical, horizontal, wind bat? Yeah, well, just uh, to your point about arms, I, that was a really good pick. A couple of my buddies liked, liked the horse as well. Um, one of the things you, that, that I have a, a little bit of a tricky time with, and I know a guy like Ryan Flanders is really good about this, is assessing the late pace in sprint races on the turf and figuring out if those sprint races are going to translate into two-turn efforts. Um, this horse had shown very good late pace in both of those sprint races, but you really never know until they stretch out, right? Sometimes they're just closing sprinters. This horse had shown a lot more versatility, and it's just a super, super nice horse, and uh, she ran a great race. But in terms of my wagering, um, I kind of overlooked her. Uh, like I said, I thought there would be a, a decent amount of pace in this race, and since she was coming out of the sprint races, I thought she might be a little too close. Even though she did rate in those sprint races, I thought she might be a little too close to a hot pace. But I will tell you this, Paco Lopez rode her brilliantly, and he put on an absolute clinic on Saturday. We'll talk about some of his other rides in a, in a little bit. Um, he basically won the race. He put her in a good spot and uh, sat right off a slow pace. And when it was time for the real running, he just shook her up. And she, she exploded. She's a very, very nice horse. In terms of my wagering, I actually I keyed Prokovoke. Um, Like I said, I thought Prokovoke was going to run a really strong race, come flying late, run them all down. So I had bet Prokovoke to win. And you'll see, I do this a lot. Um, I'm a big win better. You know, if, if I'm getting five to one or higher on a horse I like, I am always going to bet that horse to win. Uh, and then what I ended up doing, I kind of got suckered a little bit on the Chad Brown, only because you guys are so used to seeing him win so many races on the East Coast. Uh, so it's kind of nothing when his horses show up in a stakes race. But when he ships his horses out here to California, they're very, very well met. He's won so many races during the fall meet. So I figured this one was going to run her best shot, even though she was a recent maiden breaker. Uh, so I ended up doing um, an exacta box with Princess, Princessa Caroline and Crocovoke. And then I also did um, weighted exactas using Princessa Caroline and Crocovoke with another price horse underneath who I thought would come flying late, and that was Applecross. I didn't think Applecross was good enough to win breaking from the 13 hole, but I thought she might come running late and could run second to those two. So I ended up uh, coming back with exactas with her as well. For me, it was just a simple win bet on alms. Let's see what happened in the Jimmy Durante. And uh, away they go. 
Alms broke smartly, so did Laura's light. Home home shows early speed as well. Overjoyed in the light blue, and now here comes AG Indy to join them. They're all lining up on the lead. Favorite Princess Carolina has to go a little wide back in the six spot now, dropping in. Seahawk leases inside of that. Croc of Oak in the red at the back of the leading group is seven lengths off these leaders. Then we come back to Wise Rachel up alongside Applecross and Geety as last. Ten lengths would cover the lot. They head to the three-quarter pole and Laura's light sets the pace, not in any big hurry. AG Indy tracks from second and Elms is tucked in third, overjoyed fourth. Then we come back to home, home. The favourite Princess Caroline, Caroline on the far side, only three and a half off these leaders. Then comes Seahawk Lisa in the blue cap. Croc evokes in the red, gives them seven length start and then wise Rachel. Back second last, Geetee and Apple crosses last. Less than a half mile to go and Laura's light still shows the way. AG Indy in second. Ulm's right there, third at the rail. Overjoyed a close-up fourth. Princessa Carolina's fifth. Gives them three and a half start. Home, home inside of that. Croc of Oak in the red. Not being asked to run. Still six off the leader. Then wise Rachel at the top of the lane. Laura's light still has a narrow advantage. But Alms now. And Alms is traveling well. Goes up to tackle the leader. Princess Caroline comes after them from third. Past the eighth pole they come. And Alms is now let loose by Paco Lopez. And strides away. And Alms super impressive. Alms overwhelmed them. Win convincingly. Laura's light was second, then came Princess Caroline. Alms is the winner. She was sitting third nicely in the beginning, ends up getting a nice tracking trip. She only paid 740 and was the second choice, but really, really nice buyer coming out of this. She went from an 83 to a 90, so she's kept improving. Princess Carolina kind of ran the same race, running third with an 84, and Laura's light, the early pace presence went from a 65 to an 85 what are some of your thoughts frank deconstructing this race yeah um i thought the winner was super impressive but i want to see how she moves forward out of this race only because i really thought it was a falsely run race they got the half and 48 and change they were going really slow up front uh you know the fact that uh laura's light held on and finished third in that race she had only one uh, only one sprint synth race to build on, and she still stuck around and hit the board. Um, that was because of the, the, the pace she was setting. Not taking anything away from the winner. Like I said, I think the winner was impressive, and she smoked home her final quarter. She came home in 23 and change. Uh, so she, 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 ran, she ran a very, very good race. But the closes were up against it. If you watch the replay, you see there wasn't very much movement Late, you know, Krokovo came running on for a non-threatening uh, fourth. Applecross came running on for a non-threatening fifth. I just don't think it was a fairly run race. Again, not to take anything away from the winner because I do think she's a nice horse. Um, it'll be interesting to see how she responds in a fuller field with a more honest pace. When Princessa Caroline comes back, hopefully maybe with a better post, I know she only equaled her buyer from the maiden win. Do you think this horse is still going to be overhyped being by American Fair, or do you think that we might actually get a decent price? Yeah, she probably will still be a little bit overhyped just based on the connection, but I, I'm willing to forgive that race for two reasons. One, she was just kind of one pace throughout. You know, like I said, they they went that kind of slow, uh, slow middle mi middle part of the race, and she just really never had a chance to show any kind of turn of foot. 
And I also wonder if the mile was just too short for her. You know, her, her maiden breaker was at eight and a half furlong. She was able to show, show a little bit of a turn of foot going that longer distance. Um, she's one who will continue to improve as the distances get longer. Um, whereas I think, you know, Alms, I think, is, is looked really good winning that mile race. We'll see how she, she does as the distances get longer. So I'm, I'm willing to forgive Princess Cal- Caroline's race, uh, but I'm kind of hoping she'd show a little bit more. For me, and this is something from uh, one of the old books that I read by uh, Jim Quinn, he always says that if you can pick 35% at five to two or better odds, that you're well on your way to becoming one of the better players. So for me, a lot of people talk about, oh, what's your lowest win bet possible? And a lot of people say two to one. For me, it's always been five to two since reading those books. So I kind of got away with one here. Paco. I mean, just a really, really smart ride, heady ride. I know people tend to give him a lot of crap for what he does down in Florida, but like we had said before, we'll get right back into it with this next race. Uh, he had a heck of a day. Is there anything else from the Jimmy Durante, or do you want to move ahead, Frank? No, but I, was, I would like to say something about Paco. I, I agree with you. He gets a lot of a lot of stick for some of the, the, the reckless riding he does, but he is a race rider. So many jockeys today are just passengers. They react instead of being active. Paco will be active. He will make, try to make things happen. I don't agree with some of his decisions. And yeah, I think sometimes he really pushes the envelope to the point where it's extremely dangerous. But at the same time, I want a jockey who's going to be out there trying hard, trying to win the race. I want a jockey who's going to put the horse in the race, who is going to be more than just a passenger. Our colony out here in California is extraordinarily weak. It's probably the weakest it's been in years. So when you see a guy like Paco come out here and just dominate, it just, you know, it just makes you wonder why he doesn't just move out here full time. See with Joel Rosario, he comes out here, he wins. Johnny D shows up at Santa Anita, he wins. So uh, again, to the point, I want jockeys who are going to ride and not just be passengers and react to what's happening in front of them. 100% agree with that. Let's move on to race number four from Saturday at Del Mar. This was the red carpet, a grade three going a mile and three eighths on the turf. Siberian Iris was your early morning line favorite at five to two. And it was a scratch. Number six, keeper of the stars was your three to one second choice. Winner of a grade three last time out had been one of the more consistent. I thought it could be tactical. and could come from out of it. Lost in translation. I thought maybe it was a little bit outclassed. Nice run in the listed stake a uh, couple back. The biggest win, though, was only a 40K N1X. Strike at dawn, 6-1. to one. Ran OK race at 14-1 in the first grade stake. And Tiny Tina was another one, 6-1, to one, that could have been interesting. What was your take in this race? Yeah, well, we talked about, you know, class levels being truncated out here in California. This is a per- perfect example of, you know, having a graded stakes race that is basically filled, filled with allowance horses. Um, I, uh, I had a, you know, when Siberian Iris scratched out of the race, uh, I thought she was going to be seven to five in the race. I I thought she couldn't lose. So when she scratched out of the race, uh, it opened everything up and I had to kind of go back and reassess everything. I ended up, uh, so uh, Len, I, I wanted to get a price because I, I did think the keeper of the stars, while a very, very nice three-year-old, I thought she was extremely vulnerable in this spot for, for two reasons. One, 
her two races at Del Mar over the summer were just kind of eh, and she had brought really good form coming into the race. And then uh, more importantly, I just didn't think she wanted any part of this marathon distance. Uh, her best races were going shorter. Uh, she's kind of a, a handy, you know, she's kind of like, kind of like little bursts, little bursts of acceleration that was not going to work at this, at this kind of distance. And, you know, she was a three-year-old facing older stakes, you know, some older, older horses in here. So I thought she was eminently vulnerable. So I decided to take her on. I ended up, you know, I tried to be a really fuzzy in this race. So I ended up on number five, Curlin's Journey. Uh, I thought Curlin's Journey was entering this race in really, really good form. Uh, she's a four-year-old who had won her N1X two back. And then she came back and ran a really, really good Catherine Crosby going a mile uh, earlier in the meet. And I just thought she could really, really build off that. I know she had been beaten by Lost in Translation before, uh, but I just, I, I Lost in Translation, I've never been a fan of that horse. I thought she was, all of her victories have come with nary a straw in her path. You know, she's had everything her own way. Uh, I thought she was going to be, uh, while she was go going to be in front, turning for home, I just didn't think she, she was going to stick around. So I, I ended up on Curlin's journey. I thought she was going to sit a perfect trip, maybe sit third or fourth and uh, save ground and just wait to produce her run. And um, that was my pick. And she was a really, really good price, too. I think she ended up going off at 17 to 1. The, the interesting thing about loss in translation, too, is a lot of times when you want to bet the horse, you want to see someone like Flavian Pratt up. I was excited to see him up on the fact that I, like you, thought that this horse was just – I run okay in the restricted stake last time out, but just like I had said before, I thought was outclassed, had the win at Del Mar, which is always nice to have in the back pocket. But, I mean, if you look at her last couple of races, you see you know, a couple A's with a 57 mixed in in a race that you would think that she would uh, – demolish for me the horse i ended up on was a three strike at dawn i just the grade three shot last time out 14 to one six by four a lot of times i don't think people like when they see a horse get you know six seventh or eighth they never look at the odds to see where the horse was if a horse is 20 30 to one and finishes in the back half of the field they weren't really expecting much from the horse anyway i like that they kind of kept her in the same spot richard baltus i think is one of the better turf trainers out on the west coast I thought the race two back at the mile and 16th, actually both races have been at a mile and 16th. I thought maybe the stretch out and distance would help this three-year-old by declaration of war. I like that. I know Tomlinson's are a thing of the past. I don't hear, hear a lot of people talk about them, but the 349, I'm pretty sure was one of the top in the field, if not the, the best. So this is a horse that I definitely thought could get the distance. And uh, what did you end up doing wagering wise in this race, Frank? Yeah, I, I kept it simple. You know, whenever my top pick in the race scratches out of the race, I, I try to tread very, very lightly. Uh, Curlin's journey was 17 to 1. I bet the horse to win. I, I don't often bet place, so I didn't bet place in this instance. I was stupid. Um, I probably should have spent a little more money and invested a little more money being creative in this race because once my top pick was scratched out and she was going to be the favorite anyway, I did think something chaotic and crazy might happen. So I ended up just betting Curlin's journey to win. I didn't bet a lot of money. I just wanted to have a little action in the race because it was a graded stakes race. Um, so that's it. I didn't get too funky or anything else. Just bet to win. For me, strike at dawn was the win bet until I saw her drop below four to one. And I obviously taking money is always a good thing. 
But just with everything else on in the race, the scratch of the favorite, there's always some, you know, weird stuff that can happen. And for me, I just decided to pass the race. A lot of times for me, I feel like I try and maybe almost pass too many races. If it's a nine race card, I try to only play three or four races, which people will probably think that I'm crazy for. Let us see if Frank can get Curlin's journey home in the red carpet. All set. Field for the red carpet sent on their mile and three-eighths journey. They all began beautifully. Can settle down for a leader here. Going on to lead them is lost in translation. Up alongside comes Strike at Dawn. The grey is keeper of the stars. At the rail, Vibrance now goes up to take third. And Tiny Tina's fifth. Only four lengths off the leaders. Then we come back to Susanna. And Curlin's journey contender trail early is nine off the leader. Top of the lane first time round and lost in translation in no hurry at all here. Ears prick just lopes them along as slow as she can. Vibrance is tucked in down at the rail and strike at dawn in the blue colours right up alongside of that. Then comes Tiny Tina, the grey as keeper of the stars, getting a little closer now, only two and a half off the lead. Then we come back to Susanna and Curlin's Jurley quite content to track the rest as eight off the leader. Into the turn they go and still lost in translation and Flavian Pratt with a very easy lead out here. They take them along by a length. Strike at dawn, content to sit there in second. Vibrance tucked in at the rail, third. Keeper of the stars, the grey, is now three lengths off the leader. Then back to Susanna at the back of the leading group. And still the trainer is Curlin's journey, eight lengths off the leader. Down the backstretch they go and lost in translation. Three parts of a length to strike at dawn. Vibrance at the rail. Keeper of the stars. Two lengths off the leader. Tiny Tina is in the black down at the rail. Susanna's now starting to make some headway. And still Curlin's journey last. Now only six lengths would cover the lot. Less than a half mile to go in the red carpet and it's still lost in translation, leading it by half a length. Strike at dawn right there, second, Vibrance in third. Susanna continues to improve. Susanna in the pink now gets third. Keeper of the Stars now, the grey gets a tap on the shoulder. Keeper of the Stars has to pick it up but is losing ground. Tiny Tina looking for room in the white blinkers and then Curlin's journey. They're at the top of the lane and suddenly lost in translation, just gone back to them. And Strike at Dawn's the new leader. Strike at Dawn, Susanna, Tiny Tina's on the outside. Now it's Susanna in the white blinkers coming gamest of all. Vibrance getting a late run down at the rail. Curlin's journey as well. Susanna in front as they run to the wire. Susanna has won it. A three-way photo for second. An unlucky Curlin's journey probably got it. Close Vibrance Strike at Dawn for third. Susanna winning with a f with a very remember. Uh, Paco Lopez jockey on 23 to one were the odds paid $48 to win. The buyer came back, I believe very strong came back in 88. So improved off of the 80 last time out. Let's deconstruct this race. Frank, what were some of your thoughts? <laughs> Begins and ends with Paco Lopez. Look, I, I like, um, I like Ruben Fuentes. I think he's one of the better riders out here. But go back and watch the replay and just look at how much of a better ride Paco and how much of a better judge of pace Paco Lopez is compared to Ruben. I thought, I, I thought Ruben was going to be sitting third or fourth in a really good spot. I thought Susanna with Paco up was going to be out the back. And Paco realized that they were going, you know, they were not going that fast up front. So he got Susanna in the race. 
had her in a good covered up spot. And then he made his move at just the right time so that the rest of the field that, that was in front of him had to quicken. So he tried, again, he made something happen. He took the race to the other jockey. He forced them into an uncomfortable position. He forced them to have to ask more out of their mounts when they might've wanted to wait a little bit more. Uh, Fuentes uh, did a good job saving ground, but again, he just wasn't a very good judge of pace in this race. He had way too much to do. Curlin's journey came running late, had to steady, was behind horses, was between horses, had to steady in the lane, came surging late. Even still, even if, 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 um, you know, she was on even terms with Zizana. I'm not sure she was going to beat Zizana that day. Uh, Bob Hess has done a terrific job with this horse. Horse is co-owned by uh, one of the better handicappers out there and a, a, a really good friend up in the Del Mar press box. And you've seen him on TVG, Kurt Hoover. Uh, they claimed this horse for $8,000 uh, way back in um, September of last year. Laid up the horse, did right by the horse, let the horse, uh, you know, get used to the Bob Hess's uh, training program, brought the horse back and the horse has done nothing but show up and run good races for the connections this year. So hats off to them. And, and again, hats off to Paco Lopez. I mean, he totally schooled the jockey community uh, this weekend. It's interesting for me too, because after I saw the race, I went back through Susanna is two for four at Del Mar. Nobody else in this race really has two wins over the over the track, do you think it was more of a horse for course angle as well? Well, you know, I I wish I had done a, a, a wish I had gotten more involved in this race because, like I mentioned, I I thought that the the favorite was Volt. Once the the main favorite scratched out, I thought the the more the the, the race favorite uh, was definitely vulnerable, and I thought anybody could win. So if you go back and look at Zuzana, yeah, her two for four over this course is very very telling, but. Uh, and we'll talk about this probably a little later on. I, I have a recency bias, and it's probably one of my biggest flaws as a handicapper. I I do always like to go back and try and make excuses for horses, but sometimes if I see something, it just sticks in the back of my head, and I have a hard time letting it go. So if you look back on August 8th when Zuzana ran here over the summer, um, she was flat. She was really flat, and I remember talking to Kurt after the race, and we just said, oh, we don't know. She was just flat. But in retrospect, if you go back and look, that race was against the boys, okay? She was racing against the boys that day because they couldn't fill a starter allowance for fillies and mares. So they had no choice but to run against the boys, and she just didn't want to run against the boys. So you can excuse that flat race. But I had that in the back of my head, okay, well, maybe she's, you know, she's not as good as she was earlier in the year. So that, that was a mistake on my part. Uh, at the price that she was, she was definitely worth considering, especially like you said, Spencer, her two for four uh, record over the Del Mar turf course. Very, very telling. It seemed very interesting to me. Like you say, Paco again with one of the better rides. I thought strike at dawn had a good race. I thought I was hoping that maybe she would get up in the money to make it seem when a horse goes off under four to one and can't hit the board. Usually that's pretty telling. I think that it's interesting too, that, the other main contenders finished second last and dead last think Maybe this race is just one that you're going to have to wait to see how they come back and finish out of. And that this might be a weak race, or you think that the public just got it wrong. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be in any hurry to bet any of these horses back in stakes races, um, except for uh, keeper of the stars. Uh, keeper of the stars, I think is a very nice horse. 
I think she has excuses. She didn't want to go this far. She doesn't like the Del Mar turf course. If you see her coming back at Santa Anita, cutting back to a mile, I think she'll be perfectly fine. Uh, if you remember, uh, she's just back, uh, when was it, June 9th uh, at Golden Gate. This was a three-year-old filly, mind you. June 9th back at Golden Gate at eight and a half furlongs. A three-year-old filly broke a 17-year course record. This horse has ability. She is super, super talented. Um, so I would, I would give her uh, another chance. I'm not interested in any of these others in stakes races. I heard that Zuzana was going to go back east to Gulfstream Park because there are a lot of starter allowance races that she's eligible for. And I can tell you right now that if she shows up in those starter allowance races, she will be very, very tough. Um, obviously, you know, getting some class relief and, and uh, not having to face, face uh, graded company if she, re- if she does do that move back east. But again, the other ones here, I'm not, I'm not too excited about. They won't be on my bet back list. What do you say we move on to the third and final race? Frank, unless there was anything else you had to say about this race. Nope, that was it. Race number six at Del Mar on Saturday. The Seabiscuit, grade two, going a mile and a 16th on the turf. Obviously, we see some fan favorites of mine. River Boyne comes back. He's a two-time grade two winner and a grade one place as well. Next shares ran a hundred buyer two back. Those are some of the early, early uh, morning line contenders. Prince Earl, his last race was very good. Last two races have both been very good. Both 100 buyers seem to be on the improve. Give me some of your, uh, give me your idea on this race, Frank. Yeah, I thought, I thought sacred life was going to be, going to be really, really tough. Again, I mentioned when, when Chad Brown, Ships out to Del Mar for a graded stakes race. His horse is usually holding. <laughs> He's got a pretty good strike rate out here. Uh, I thought this horse was uh, sitting on a good race. I liked all of the races back east. I didn't have any knocks. The horse had acted on on soft on soft ground before. The going was good to soft in places over the course uh, on Saturday. I thought. I thought that was the horse to beat. Now, that being said, I was trying to find some horses underneath to kind of, you know, sneak in there in the exact is at a big price. And I ended up looking at number 10 and dash Irish bread. I've always liked this horse. I talked about closing times uh, earlier in the, in the podcast. This horse has closing times that are uh, above par for, you know, grade two, grade three, grade three animals. thought the horse would, um, just be sitting sitting on a good race. Uh, I like the fact that if you look at the the European form, you see that the horse had run well over both good and over soft ground. Uh, I was hoping Talamo would just angle the horse, uh, angle the horse over to the rail, and and end up end up producing uh, producing one big run. So I was kind of looking for Andesh at a huge huge price, uh, and the horse ended up going off at you know, 40, 46 to one. Uh, looking at Andesh to kind of sneak in there to to maybe run second or third, but I, I really did think that Sacred Life was 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 holding all the cards in this race. For me, it's interesting. I'm always trying to beat Chad Brown out east, and then when he goes out west, usually the what seems like it's been the last few years has been the East Coast horses just come over, they just win all the turf races, and they head back with you know their buckets of money. I thought yep. the race two back in the Bernard Baruch, uh, slow pace. 
and he was only a length off the pace and to finish second, I thought was very weak. I know it was a soft track out there at Saratoga, but he had still shown that the ability to do it from, you know, Chantilly and over there in Europe. And then I thought the drop to the allowance level was a little weird at Keeneland. Obviously went off at four to five, one by two, just seemed like a prep maybe for this. But I don't usually like to see it when horses go from stakes down to allowances. I think that kind of tends to tell me the trainer is not, not sure of where this horse is in the pecking order. Pace-wise, we knew Ohm was going to go out and just go to the lead because who else? Paco Lopez trying to really, really spice it up again. Uh, I ended up on River Boyd, Flavian Pratt. I had to pick him at least one time for this show because I, I think he's one of the best out there. I thought his lure was very good. It was pace-aiding, off, coming off of a fast pace. Obviously coming on now for Detori, but he had been on for all of those great graded stake performances uh, earlier in the year and in the year prior. To me, it just seemed like a horse like Prince Earl was improving at the right time, and the odds showed that as he went off at 7-2. to Oh, my thought taking all that money was just all the money piling on Paco from earlier in the day. Maybe people just thought that he was like, the second coming of, you know, one of the greats, like Big Kai or something like that. Uh, but for me, it just seemed like I wanted to try to beat Chad, which usually I'm going to the ATM afterwards. So I said, okay, we'll do it one more time. I ended up on River Boyne. I just, not that there was a lot of pace, but I know he's mostly a closer. I thought that at the rail, they kind of had to go one way or the other. And I thought that with Pratt, being a, aggressive as aggressive riders can be out in California, he might try and go up the rail and try to shake loose. Uh, thoughts on the wagering here, Frank? What what do we decide to go for? Yeah, well, uh, like I said, I thought I thought Sacred Life was going to be was going to be pretty tough. Um, I did like Andash uh, at forty six to one. I made you know just a nominal win wager on Andash uh, just in case something crazy happened. Even though I didn't really think he was good enough to beat Sacred Life. And then I came back and I did, um, I did weighted exacta, I did an uh, exacta box with Sacred Life and Andesh, but I weighted it with more money, obviously, on um, with Sacred Life, hitting that more times with Sacred Life. And then I also, you mentioned Prince Earl. I, that was another one I was interested in, uh, just a steadily improving progressive type horse. Uh, you know, I like both of the D'Amato horses. I like Prince Earl and Andesh. So I then came back and did um, a Prince Earl over uh, a Prince Earl and Andesh Exacta box as well. So I used and- Andesh in both of my wagers, uh, but I used more with Sacred Life and then less with Prince Earl. But I was basically uh, accounting on Andesh to run second, uh, and on the on the off chance that he ended up winning, you know, I had my win bet and I also covered him in the top slot in the Exacta in case something crazy like that had happened. It would have been a really really good result if Andesh had won or finished second for me. Uh, for me, like I said, River Boyne, it was, I couldn't believe when he ended up going off at nine to one. And I thought like, Oh, I'm going to be the smart one here out of the group of thousands. Obviously when a horse goes from nine to two to nine to one, he's almost doubling his morning line. Usually that's a negative. I tried to be just the smart one and think that I knew more than everyone else. So I played uh, a ladder bet two to win four to place eight to show. I've talked about a bunch on this show. Me and JK have a very good spirited argument about why it's good or bad. For me, exactus and trifectas, you have to have multiple things happen. For the latter bet with just a single horse, the single horse has to do what you need him to do. And 
I just thought that was the best play, especially at nine to one. If he could win, I'm going to be walking out with you know a good payday for me for be, me being having a lower bankroll. Any other thoughts on the race before we go to the race call, Frank? Uh, no, just that, you know, anytime, you know, and again, it was probably me just being a little, a little lazy. You know, you see Chad Brown, you see the big figures, you see the strong come home times. You want to try and be a little clever, but at the same time, you don't want to be a hero. But anytime Chad Brown ships a horse out here, they get overbid anyway. So, you know, it's like, you really have to try and figure out a way to extract the most value out of the race. Um, and, you know, this horse took a considerable amount of action, which meant, you know, a horse like your horse, River Boeing, uh, had some added value at nine to one. Let's see if Mir Frank could find the winner of the grade two Seabiscuit. And away they go in the Seabiscuit. They all appeared to break very smoothly. Om wants the early lead, and Om immediately bounces out, takes over. Ryder slows him down up front. River Boyne is right there at the rail alongside Ritzy AP in the black cap. Majestic Eagle has the blue cap, and then we come back to Prince Earl racing in mid-pack. Down at the rail, we have Neck Shares, been followed by Sacred Life. Sacred Life third. Oh, Om just hit the rail on the lead there. Racing on his own, he hit the rail, but he's fine. He's gone on with it, just kind of brushed the rail up on the lead. So Sacred Life is now back third last, eight lengths off the leaders, then Ronald R and Andesh is last. On to the backstretch they go, and Om back relaxed again, leads it by just under two, River Boyne down at the rail, Ritzy AP on the far side. They've been followed by Majestic Eagle in fourth, and then back to next, Shares. Prince Earl is now six lengths off the leaders, Sacred Life is down at the rail, back third last. Outside of Sacred Life, we have Ronald R and Anne Desch's last. Ten lengths covers them all. They head to the three-eighths pole, and Om goes on. He leads by a length and a half. Ritzy AP in second. River Boyne down at the rail. They are being followed by Neck Shares up alongside Majestic Eagle. Prince Earl in the red cap. And let's see, Sacred Life now needs somewhere to go. Sacred Life blocked in behind a wall of horses. Still has six to go. Nowhere to go, though, is Sacred Life. They turn for home, and Om kicks on for home. At the rail, Neck Shares comes with his run. Om, Neck Shares, River Boyne is coming game. Can Sacred Life come out of nowhere and win it? Sacred Life flying, but Neck Shares a big lead. Neck Shares will win it. Neck Shares wins it. Very unlucky. Sacred Life second. River Boyne was third, and then Majestic Eagle. We have another upset. Next Shares at 27 to 1, paid 56.40. Another interesting race riding. Sacred Life. Seemed to get stuck up in traffic. Next chairs came back with a 98 buyer, improving his buyer by 10. Next, or sorry, Sacred Life ran a 97 right back, and Riverboyne improved from a 95 to a 97. What was your take on the uh, on the race there, Frank? Yeah, again, I felt like this was a this was a missed opportunity um, because if you you go back and really look at at next chairs. Uh, you know, if I had told you that you were going to get 27 to one on a, you know, grade one winner in a race filled with grade two animals, <laughs> a grade one winner who had won his grade one on good turf, if I had told you that you were going to get 27 to one, you probably would have gone to the bank and uh, mortgaged your house just to, just to get more money to, to fire away on this horse. So yeah, I, I kind of messed it up. I was looking, like I said, I was looking at Andesh because I thought he was a, uh, uh, a lightly raced 
four-year-old who was who was going to step up and run a big race, and then also it acted on on good good turf. But my next year's I, I feel like was a lost opportunity after after the horse won the race, and I saw the odds. I said, "Oh my God, I'm such an idiot." And let me tell you why. Again, I talked earlier on about like just sort of having kind of uh, recency bias or any kind of bias when it comes to comes to handicapping. I have always been a fan of next shares. I've always liked this horse. When they brought the horse to California, I probably bet the horse five or six times. Horse would always run good races, come with a strong late kick, and then always come up just a little bit short. Um, so it got to the point where after five or six races in California, Baltus was like, screw this. I'm sending the horse to Kentucky. <laughs> For whatever reason, we can't get a win here in, in California. So they send the horse to Kentucky. Uh, wins a huge race at Kentucky Downs, uh, and then in October of 2018, wins the Shadwell Mile at Keeneland on good turf. Excellent, excellent races. And then you kind of look at the form this year, and it's like, oh, well, what have you done for me lately? Well, the horse has done nothing for anybody lately. But, I mean, the horse is running against grade one monsters. You know, totally, totally forgivable. Now catches a really, really soft field. Uh, ended up getting a really good ride by Valdivia, saved Brown the whole way, uh, was able to sneak through with the rail, get the jump on on the favorite who had a ton of trouble. Uh, and, you know, anyone who was smart enough to uh, look back at, at next year's previous form and just ignore that really uh, blah form against much tougher animals got paid got paid handsomely. There's no way that horse should have been 27-1. I know it's easy to say after the fact that I'm an idiot for not having the horse. Uh, but, uh, that was, that was really good value on a, on a grade one winner against grade two animals. I think the main thing for me too, is all the people don't go back after a race. They just kind of turn the page and they forget that race ever happened for me. I like to try to go back and I find the hordes that the horses that have a uh, higher, like higher odds. So 27 to one. Okay. Well, what did he do? You know, majestic Eagle ran forth at 44 to one almost came into the trifecta. For me, all it takes is two races back, the Shadwell Mile from this year, sixth by one length at 18 to one. So to me, that shows that he was kind of coming back in the form. The BC Mile against against Uni and God Stormy, they're up, they're both up for eclipses this year. So you can just toss that race out. And before that, it was an 87 to a 93 to a 96. I thought the form was kind of coming right back. I just completely skipped this horse for God knows what reason. Yeah, well, no, that's a, that's a good point. And even if I talked a little bit about looking at the internal fractions, even though the horse was well beaten in the Breeders' Cup mile, to come home time was still 21.80. I mean, that's lightning fast. I mean, that's, yeah. and it's, that should have been a tip-off if the horse was rounding into form. Same thing with the race before that, the Shadow Mile. I know he looked like he was going to win the race and then kind of got swallowed up late. He still came home very, very strongly. So I totally, I totally missed the ball on that. I, I I should have gone back to the well on a horse who I've always liked. Uh, instead, I, you know, like I said, I ended up on the other horse who had good come home times and Esh, and um, and Esh just not in the same class as next shares. Any thoughts on Sacred Life or River Boyne's trip? Ah, uh, well, Sacred Life's trip was a nightmare. Um, just, just had nowhere to run until till late right and it came exploding um i think sacred life probably ends up winning if if um if he if he, if he has a cleaner trip and if next shares doesn't save all that ground 
Uh, not to take anything away from next shares, deserving deserving winner, uh, but Valdivia he he made the difference in that race. His his ride in that race was terrific. Uh, saved saved all the ground and was able to get through on the best part of the course. Um, I mentioned earlier in the podcast the inside was very very good on the turf course uh, this day. So when you go back and look at these horses coming out in their next races, anyone who might have had to you know stalk three or four wide or make a rally wide move was kind of up against it. Uh, so that's just something to keep in mind as you handicap going forward. Uh, I, I didn't particularly notice River Boyne's trip. You'll have to elucidate me on that. I, I was, um, focused on other horses, uh, as much as I've always liked River Boyne. Um, I didn't like him in this race only because I felt that he's a horse who just hasn't really trained on to that next elite level, you know, still shows up, still runs decent races, but hasn't really been able to kick through as a four-year-old. Um, so I don't know, maybe did, did the horse have a bad trip? I, I don't think he had a bad trip. I just find it surprising that he was up on the pace in second. I mean, the last time you see even a third in his past performances was last year for the Del Mar Derby when he was three by one under pride as well. So I wonder if it was under instructions or if just getting the rail, they wanted to try to get up there and uh, be on the pace with Ohm. Yeah, my, my guess is that Pratt probably didn't want to get buried down and uh, behind horses. Uh, and, you know, the horse had, I mean, Ohm was really the only, like, legitimate speed in the race, right? So maybe Pratt just thought he'd be up there and sit second. Um, very rarely will you find Pratt in a bad spot or, or a bad judge of pace. You know, he's, he's by far the best rider out here in California. Um, so, I don't know. He must have had his reasons for being where he was. Uh, but Riverboy is a very good exotic horse. So, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you ended up cashing, cashing one of your tickets there because the horse fires every time, you know. So it's a really, really good horse to own. He has won, uh, earned almost a million dollars and uh, still has plenty more to give as a four-year-old. 100% looking forward to see River Boy and hopefully next year on the West Coast. I believe that is all the time we have for today, Frank. Is there anything else you want to talk to about this race? Uh, no, I think I think we, we pretty much nailed it. Just the only thing, just to reiterate, just look for horses who might have been stuck wide on the turf course on Saturday, closing week in the Del Mar. Look for them to come back, maybe save ground at the next race and produce a better race. I want to thank my special guest, Frank Scatoni. It's the first time me and him have ever talked. Looking forward to having him back on the pod. Thank you so much, Frank. Thank you, Spencer. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks to all of our great fans for listening to this show. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's president is Peter Thomas Fornatel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And our In The Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time.